The second reading this morning is from Philippians 3, verses 7 to 11. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Pauline, and thank you, Matthew. In an interview with a German website, Brad Pitt was asked if he believed in God. He smiled and replied, no, no, no. He insisted that he's not a spiritual person and said, I'm probably 20% atheist and 80% agnostic. I don't think anyone really knows. You'll either find out or not when you get there, and then there's no point thinking about it. In the meantime, Brad Pitt claims he's found happiness in life. He says, I'm on the path I want to be on. And when asked about what he valued the most in his life, he said his family and a couple of his favourite motorbikes. Apparently, he lost whatever religion he may have had. Unfortunately, there are many people like him who are losing their religion. But losing your religion can actually be a good thing and actually a wise thing. Because religion is mankind's attempts to reach God. Whereas our Christian faith is God reaching down to humanity through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And whether someone's religious or not, we need to remember that it's only through Jesus that we're saved. And it's nothing of our own doing. And this passage from Philippians, Paul's challenging us to lose our religion and focus on the one thing in life that should be our priority. And that is a relationship with God through Jesus. The passage begins at the start of Philippians 3 with a word of warning. There were some false teachers in the church at Philippi and Paul wanted to warn the church how to deal with them. He said, he describes the false teachers as dogs, not house pets, but wild dogs that scavenge about. He described them as evildoers and mutilators of the flesh. He wasn't holding back what he thought at all. But the men he was on about were immoral and sadly, very influential in the church. They were passionate about what they said and did. They were absolutely zealous, but they were wrong in what they did. They were wrong in so many things. They were far from being a positive influence on the church. By calling them dogs, he was really having a go at them. He was really intending to insult them. In any day and age, it won't be nice to be called a dog. But in Paul's day, it was really offensive. Dogs were scavengers who fed on, the, uh, fed on roadkill, filth and rubbish. And dogs were the image of all that's unclean. Rabbis called Gentiles dogs because they didn't believe in the one true God, Yahweh. And by calling them dogs... Paul turns the tables on them. On he, he turns his t- the tables on his fellow Jews and says, it's like he's saying, it's actually it's you that's rejected God. 
You're the ones leading people astray. You're the ones through your false teaching that are doing it wrong. You're the dogs because of the things you're doing. He also called them evildoers, which is a bit more straightforward, essentially saying that they were working for evil, um, trying to go against God's purposes. And he also called them mutilators of the flesh. One thing they were teaching was that as a Jewish Christian, you should keep the law of Moses in order to be saved and reckon that you had to be circumcised in order to be accepted by God. They were incredibly strict and legalistic about the laws that they thought had to be kept. And because of that, they were missing out on the grace of God. They were keeping a set of rules to get their salvation, and actually, it's nothing to do with that. And they were missing the point. They were missing the grace of God through Jesus. And instead, they were putting confidence um, in flesh. They weren't putting their confidence in Jesus and what he did on the cross. They were putting confidence in human things, putting their confidence in religion instead of in Jesus. And these false teachers, they were incredibly religious, but they got it wrong. You see, religion without Christ is a dangerous thing. Loads of people these days trust religion to help them through. They think that because they go to church or because they occasionally, well, because they have a friend who goes to church, because the parents go to church or because they were raised in church or whatever else, they think that that guarantees them a place in heaven. Where none of these religious things that we do save us, it's simply faith in Jesus. It's knowing him and living in relationship with him. It's that which saves us. Religion is good and there are so many good outward trappings of Christianity. But if your confidence is in the flesh instead of in Jesus, then we're missing the point. And that's what Paul is warning against. This passage helps us think about our priorities in life and what's most important to us. You see, none of us know what life will hold for us. None of us know what's going to happen in the future. And there are so many aspects of our lives that we are not in control of. And here Paul's writing from prison. And he's reminding us of the importance of perspective and of our priorities. So first of all, let's look at past priorities. Paul's past priorities. Now, Paul was a man with a past. We all have a past. Whether we see it as positive or negative, our past has an effect on who we are today. We've all done stuff we're not proud of. We've all messed up in one way or another. We're all only human, as was Paul. And Paul had, in fact, messed up in a spectacular fashion. And in the passage he speaks about his own life, he speaks about his own past. That said, Paul's religious pedigree was somewhat impressive and consists of seven different things that more than qualify him to say what he is saying. He had the right ritual. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He had the right race. He was an Israelite. He had the right family. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He had the right religion, Hebrew of Hebrews. He had the right occupation. He was a Pharisee and a good one at that. He had the right zeal. He was a persecutor of the church. And he had the right morality, always keeping God's commands. And if that that list doesn't leave you majorly impressed, it's simply because you're not a first century Jew. You see, Paul was of a very high position in Jewish society. He was the cream of the crop, He was as in as you could be in Jewish society. 
He had it all. Jewish descent, an excellent Jewish education, high social standing, a reputation for keeping the law, and a reputation for moral purity. What more could you want? Well, let's think about that question. What more could you want? You see, the whole point of this passage is about what more could you want? If being religious could get you to heaven, then Paul would be right there on the front seat next to Moses and Elijah. His religious standing was as good as it gets. But the point is that most of people in the world stop there and go no further. They take a look at their religious practices and figure that it's not too bad. Surely it's enough to get them into heaven. They go to church when they can. They try to be good. They haven't killed anyone lately. They try to help others in need and they reckon that it will probably work out okay in the end. They're of the the do-the-best-you-can mindset when it comes to religion. And they think as long as you try your best in everything, then when you die, God will smile and let you in, and it'll all be fine. Most people sincerely believe that doing your best is good enough. So if that's true, then what more could you want? Well, Paul considers what his life was like. He considered what it involved before and after becoming a Christian. And there have been some massive changes in Paul's life. He's gained Jesus, but he's lost all of those things that he used to brag about. He cast aside his right ritual, his right race, his right family, his right religion, his right occupation, his right zeal, and his right morality. He completely disregarded his heritage, his background, his religious training, He disregarded his family's heritage. He disregarded his high standing in the community. And he pretty much says, it doesn't matter. You know what? It just doesn't matter. He tells us that none of what he once thought was important means anything to him now. It's all loss. It's all rubbish now, compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. The only thing that matters is the joy of knowing Jesus. And when we read about rubbish... We ordinarily assume that he's talking about things that God calls simple. For most of us, the rubbish of life involves angry thoughts or bad habits, dabbling in things that we know we shouldn't, doing things that we know are bad for us, idolatry, prejudice, uncontrolled temper, and the other bad stuff that we know is wrong. If you were told to get rid of the rubbish in your life, how many of you would think about your heritage or education or high public standing. You wouldn't, would you? But that's what Paul seems to be saying. For Paul, anything that keeps you from Christ is considered rubbish, no matter how good it looks to you. And it's not that the things Paul listed in his own life were all wrong in and of themselves. Most were fine. There's nothing wrong with being from the tribe of Benjamin. Nothing wrong with zealously keeping God's law. The heritage issues were things he couldn't change about his own background. And his lifestyle choices weren't in and of themselves sinful, apart from the whole persecuting the church thing. That was quite bad. But they were rubbish to him because he took excessive pride in them. He looked down on others because of the things he had. He he evaluated everything in light of the things he had and his standing. And in the end, those human things were rubbish and had to be got rid of in order that he could have Jesus. And that is a question of priority. And Paul massively changed his priorities. Whatever he'd achieved in the past counted for nothing. It was loss, it was rubbish, it was garbage. 
But that's not the same as saying that anything that Paul, that Paul had no value as a person in the past. Rather, Paul put in his life's achievements into perspective and sorting out his priorities. He can see that everything he valued in the past, which gave him status, are no longer important to him. That's because the standard he now evaluated his life by had changed. For Paul, that standard was now Jesus Christ, the life he lived and living in relationship with him. Paul was then seeking to conform his life to that of Jesus. And as we know, Jesus doesn't consider privilege an entitlement, but sets aside privileges so that he can serve. And you know, we all come from one background or another, and there's no wrong with that. But when we let our backgrounds and our education or anything really to let us think that we're better than anything else, if we think it puts us in a better position with God, then we're very much mistaken. If we use our experience or whatever it is we think highly of to look down on other people, then we're missing the point. If we think we're superior to others, then we don't properly understand how much we need God's grace. And it's that need of God's grace that Paul's speaking about. The things he previously counted as advantages didn't matter at all in God's eyes. But more than that, they actually kept him from discovering God's grace until he'd learned to count them as rubbish compared to the joy of knowing Jesus. So that was Paul in the present time. He'd come to that conclusion. He'd decided to change his priorities. That's where he was. And from there he could look to the future. And so can we. We can look to the future with our priorities. We can change our future priorities. At the end of the day, we have a choice, a chance to choose what we make our priority for the future. If we fully understand the, how amazing the gift of grace we have really is, then we shouldn't be able to help but make Jesus our number one priority. And here's the thing. If we balance all we have in Christ on one side, the new life now, the hope for the future, against everything else that we have in life, then it's clearly obvious that Jesus is greater than anything else that we can ever have, anything else that the world can offer. Paul expresses the goal of his life when he says in verse 9, that I may be found in him. He wants to live his life in such a way, and he's urging the Philippians to live his, their lives in such a way that when it comes to the end, they will be found by God in Christ. It's not enough to be near or next to Christ. Being a true disciple of Jesus means to be in Christ, so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see you, but he sees Jesus instead. That's what Paul's on about in verse 9, when he speaks of having a righteousness that comes, part, that comes from God by faith. To be in Christ means that you get the credit for Jesus' perfect righteousness, because he has paid the price. He has taken our place. And the life that he offers us is far more important and valuable than anything else. And it's with that confidence in Jesus that we should face the future. If we feel like we're full of despair and we've got no hope, we can feel like we're trapped and there's nothing worthwhile. But if we have hope, a hope in Jesus, that gives us the courage to press on to the future whatever it holds. For Paul, the promise of new life in Christ not only sustained him in the present, but gave him courage for the future. Paul didn't let his future hope of resurrection and eternal life give him a false sense of what real life was like, though. 
He didn't let that hope, that promise, become a new kind of privilege or entitlement. Instead, he knew that it was only through humble service, through trying to become like Jesus in what he did and said, that we can truly live as disciples of Jesus. Over the triple doorways of a cathedral in Milan, there are three inscriptions spanning the splendid arches. Over one is carved with beautiful roses, and underneath it says, All that which pleases is but for a moment. Over another is a cross. And the words underneath that say, All that which troubles us is but for a moment. But underneath the great central arch, to the main aisle, it says, that only, that only is important, which is eternal. You see, if we realise these truths, then we won't let things overly trouble us. We won't be so interested so much in passing pleasures of the hour that we live only for the permanent and the eternal. We would only live for Jesus. You see, the problem is that so many people have is that we're too happy playing with the rubbish heap of life, with hands covered in the mess of earthly gain, that we don't want to let go and give God complete control of our lives. So many people rely too much on earthly achievements and gains to truly commit to following Jesus, even though living in relationship with him is worth far more than anything else, as Paul tells us time and again in this passage. Paul's future isn't about himself anymore. The Philippians' future, he urges, shouldn't be about themselves anymore. Our future shouldn't be about ourselves anymore. It should be about God. Specifically, it's about the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. And we can make God our future. You might have done that already. You might have lived with God at the centre of your life as your number one priority for many, many years. And if you have... Take this as an opportunity to think about the parts of our lives that we sometimes hold back. And think about just how much priority we really let Jesus have in our lives. And if not, then here's the chance. God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die in our place for the wrong things we've done. To offer us new life in him now and a new hope for the future. This is a chance for us all to reaffirm or affirm or choose to put Jesus number one in our lives and consider everything else lost compared to that and put him above all else. And as Paul says, reading that passage again, but from the message version because it's very easy to understand, he says, the very credentials these people are waving around as something special, I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important have gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all on the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules, when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, 
I wanted to do it. So our challenge this morning is simply to put him as number one priority in our lives, to consider all else lost because nothing, nothing that this world can offer us is as good as the joy that we can find in Christ Jesus.